Hello and welcome to another episode of Adventures in .NET. I'm Sean Claybo, your host, and with me today are your co-hosts, Caleb Wells. Hey, how are you? Hey, good, good. Good. I hear you got some ear problems. You, no, you, you well, didn't grow up in the 80s going to rock concerts with me. I've got tinnitus. <laughs> so I've got really bad tinnitus. So, But luckily, I can block it out from my thinking and, and deal yeah. with it. So I'm just, I'm getting older. You know, I don't need to yeah. go into the, the, the nitty gritty details. But, you know, yeah, you just as you get older, like I'm having to get rid of all my earbuds and in-ear stuff because they just seem to irritate me too much so i'm having to do it over here but you know hey i'm not gonna stop wearing yeah them because i'm a developer <laughs> and and they're, they're basically kind of like built on right so <laughs> yeah i think acdc and judas priest kind of did it in for me on hmm. acdc and they got their little cannons that they fire off and things like that and i think that's the one that did, did me bad and yeah man so when i was I'm paying for it when I was in the Air Force in the 90s, uh, I listened to uh, ICP, Insane Clown Posse, and stuff like that. Oh, I was young once. Young and <laughs> stupid. But anyway, yeah. Yeah. We, ha we have someone else with us. <laughs> yeah. Hey, why? Hey, why? Hey, guys. Yeah, yeah, I also have a little, a mild bit of tinnitus as well, actually. We're yeah, probably through my old days of listening to music loudly and things like that, so... Yeah, but yeah. You know, back hey. in the day with the rock concert, things like that, I actually, I did car stereo competitions. Uh, so some of those yeah. were, you know, part of the competition was how loud can you get? And so, yeah. Really? There's a, there's a competition on just how loud you can turn your stereo up in, in, in your car? How many comes. decibels can you push out in your car? And yeah. in my, mine didn't in my go tools. that high because I didn't, I didn't really pump up <laughs> the power. But right. there are some car stereos that are like 130, 140 decibels, mm -hmm. which is like... Yeah, and oh, they wow. build them special where the windows are like, and the doors are all solid and, <laughs> you know, like bolted onto the car because you got to keep that pressure into the car right. to keep so, it being yeah. measured. Because if right. the air gets out, that means less decibels. So that's a no-no. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And these, I remember these in my 20s, like, like tanks. I spent like $500 or something, which was a lot back then, on a sound system in my truck. And ended up taking up like three quarters of my trunk. <laughs> yep, yep, yep. yep. Trunk, I had, I yeah, yep. I had uh, twelve speakers in my car. I had a subwoofer in the back. Oh, yeah. of speakers <laughs> in my car. Yep. Yeah, because yep. you know you got to lay it out and you got to look good and it's got to sound good. And I went yep. for quality sound, not for volume. So oh, my that my was car my would thing. vibrate. It's weird. <laughs> yeah, right. It's still hanging around here, but uh, yeah. Well, there you go. Hey folks, this is Charles Maxwood from Top End Devs, and lately I've been working on actually building out Top End Devs. If you're interested, you can go to topendevs.com slash podcast, and you can actually hear a little bit more about my story, about why I'm doing what I'm doing with Top End Devs, why I changed it from uh, devchat.tv to Top End Devs. But what I really want to get into is that I have decided that I'm going to build the platform that I always wished I had with devchat.tv and I renamed it to Top End Devs because I want to give you the resources that are gonna help you to build the career that you want, right? So whether you wanna be an influencer in tech, whether you want to go and just max out your salary and then go live a lifestyle with your family, your friends, or just traveling the world or whatever, I, I wanna give you the resources that are gonna help you do that. We're gonna have career and leadership resources in there, and we're gonna be giving you content on a regular basis to help you level up and max out your career. So go check it out at topendevs.com. If you sign up before my birthday, that's December 14th. If you sign up before my birthday, you can get 50% off the lifetime of your subscription. 
Once again, that's topendevs.com. So today so anyway, we want to talk yeah. about you want to talk about source control. What something nobody uses love. source control We've dealt mm, with, right? Ice. No. Yes. Yeah. Just um. Yeah. <laughs> well, when I yeah. started out, I just made separate folders. Copy the folder that you're working in <laughs> over to another one, and date it or whatever. And if you need to revert, well, you just copy it back from the other folder. You That's actually reminded me of something. Source control. <laughs> Early on in my career, yeah, and this was years and years ago, I was actually doing cold fusion development and we were using Dreamweaver. And it had a check-in and check-out process, but it didn't really do anything. We, uh, we had shared code on a server, right? We had all access to it at the same time, no source control. And if you opened up a file, you could right-click on it and check it out. And then it showed a green check mark. And for anyone else who opened Dreamweaver, it would show them a red X. But they could still open it <laughs> and make any changes they wanted. Oh, that, that was our version of source control a long time ago. Yeah. Did you ever mm. use Home Site? Mm-mm. I know. Site yeah. No, I, precursor, precursor to yeah. Dreamweaver. Yep. Yep. I, I did briefly. I bought that. Bought yep. that. Mm, front page. Oh. Yeah, you said. Oh. Not, the, not the new front that page, but the, the old front page. <laughs> <laughs> so, source yeah. control has come so a long why, way so in So, why do we need, why do we yeah, need source ahead. control? Yeah. Yeah, why? Why do we need what's source it, what's control? What's it for? <laughs> <laughs> you asking me? Why? <laughs> like, um, yeah, I think it's just a, obviously, it's a, it's a good way to, what would you say, like, to manage the, the history Protect of your code. yourself from yourself. To see what's going on. <laughs> Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, or and other yes. developers, right? <laughs> yeah, right. It's weird though. Like, I feel like source control is one of those things that aren't very sexy, mm. I guess. But every time I meet a new developer, that is literally the the first thing that I I'll get them to learn. Just because, like, like you, no matter what technology or whatever that you use, you're you're always going to need some form of source control. Would you guys agree? Like, um, it's pretty much a yes, a non. It's a mandatory requirement of being a developer. For, for me, at least. So. If, if I walk into uh, an environment and they're not doing source control, I kind of raise my eyebrows. It brings up some questions of, what the heck are they doing here? And I've met some developers who, who are you know kind of cowboy coders, been developing for 10 or 15 years and don't use source control. And I'm like, how? Really? How, okay. how, <laughs> how can you do that? But there's people out there that do, right? But I think in a corporate environment, you're going you're gonna to be forced to use it. Because you're going to have people higher up, hopefully, that have had experience with it and, and see the value in it. So, Well, there's so much that springs off of it now, right? I mean, it used to be that, like like I said, it, source control was a really good way to handle the history of your code and revert back and all that stuff. But I guess now with all the all the different deployment tools out there, you know, like and the CICD stuff that, that's becoming more and more, making us more and more productive, you know, like all of that stuff rests on the fact that there's source control um, being used kind of thing. Prince. So. Right. I mean, how in the world are you going to get, you know, 10 developers code on the same place and get it released to dev UAT or production without mm. using source control? Right. Mm. That would be a nightmare. Otherwise, speaking of nightmares. Yeah. You guys use so, source safe. Uh, yeah. So I think the main <laughs> reason that source control was kind of put in place is so that you have a mm-hmm. backup uh, of your mm-hmm. code. So that's its, its main role, I think, is, is backing up your code. And the nice thing about, you know, the source control systems is that you're also going to have a history of that code. So mm-hmm. if you need to go back to like a point in time in certain code, you can do that with uh, most source control systems. And yeah, you, you mentioned SourceSafe. That's probably one of the first actual source control systems that I used. Mm-hmm. And it worked, but it was not... Sometimes. <laughs> yeah, it pretty much worked, but it wasn't mm-hmm. that reliable or, mm-hmm. I guess... 
robust because mm-hmm. the worst thing about it is it was basically just a flat file system. And you, you keep that on drive or machine somewhere. And if that file system got corrupt, it's all just gone pretty much. Yeah. Did you use did you use SourceSafe, Caleb? No, I actually, I'm trying to, I don't think I ever used it right off. I've heard all kinds of horror stories. I used Subversion for a good while, which I think is a little better than SourceSafe, but it had its own issues. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It was like you use an actual database to keep everything <laughs> yeah. in there. So, yeah. Definitely. Yeah. But I remember uh, Tortoise SVN and Mercurial and all kinds of different GUIs, tools that sat on top of it. But no, never, not that I can recall. What about you, Why? I used to say, like, it was probably in the first year or so in my mm-hmm. career, I mean, as a graduate, actually. And I think it was, I was actually in charge of, um, like, migrating one to, to TFS mm-hmm. or something. I can't really quite remember the details. But, yeah, I remember it used to just keep, just would just lock up. Like, And it was one of those things where, like, you know, like, you know, Sean was saying that, yeah, one of the objectives of source control is to keep it back up. But it would just kind of lose things occasionally. Like, and, and maybe... I guess at the time I kind of maybe attributed it to my own inexperience, like um, when things went wrong. But um, I guess over the years I've heard horror stories about it, and I, I, and then I also never experienced the same problems in in mm. TFS kind of thing. So yeah, yeah. it was weird. At TFS, I don't know if you guys remember, TFS was a really big deal when when it first came out. You know, everyone was just like, oh, this is going to solve all the source safe problem and all that stuff. So and now we're kind of beyond that. Yeah, I, I never really liked TFS personally. I think it's just maybe it was the the forced integration into Visual Studio and and how it was tightly coupled. I mean, I've used it before, but but didn't particularly like it. Better than Source Safe, though, right? So, what did you move straight? Did you move from Source Safe to? I, mo- to I Git moved from Subversion to Git yeah. primarily, and oh, and I okay. came into I've mm. come into companies where right they they didn't have a ticketing system. They were doing everything on paper, and they were using TFS because that's all they knew and. And, you know, and over the course of six months, we moved everything to to Git and Jira and that kind of stuff, right? I mean, mm. Git is the is the de facto these days, right? And Visual yeah, it's, Studio, it's amazing how it's oh, just yeah. taken a monopoly now of the whole industry kind of thing. So, well, like so, my European... my progression went, went man, my progression went from uh, from SourceSafe to a product called uh, Vault, and Vault is made by yeah. a company called SourceGear. And the reason I went to Vault is because it was kind of based upon SourceSafe. So everything was very similar and the concepts and practice was all the same as what I did in SourceSafe. So that was good for me, but it was an actual, you know, centralized repository with a database and things like that. So it was much more reliable. So I Hmm. used that for a number of years. And then, yeah, I also went on to SVN, subversion type products Hmm. after that, and then on to Git. So... One of the things about the early source control systems is most of them were a centralized system. So mm. Mm. it was mm-hmm. the main repository was was on a server somewhere and yep. everybody interacted with that server directly. Yeah. You had to check out your code, yeah, basically. Two different ways you could do it. You could do <laughs> checkout and edit so that the uh, file was locked while you were making your changes. The problem with that is if you check it out and you work on it for days a week or you forget that you checked mm. it out forget the check yeah. <laughs> you're gonna have to have administrator go in there and boot you off of it or everybody else is locked out they can't make any changes yeah mm. i think that's pretty much the, the big selling point of git really wasn't it um i guess as i guess it was just that trend of like uh developers being like 
you know, more and more developers working on the same project, you know, big open source projects kind of thing made it popularized it kind of thing. But but the whole decentralized thing is just, it, it, I think it's, it's just proven to be the, the more scalable solution, isn't it? You know, it's interesting though, right? We've been using source control for forever, right? And Git for years and years and years. And so you just kind of get used to it, right? But I know some junior developers mm. have come in and, right, brand new, it's, it's not necessarily intuitive, right? No, I think I think the names of the stuff that you do on there, like like a rebase right. and a merge, like, I, I feel like they could they could use better names. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, pull request always got me for a while. Mm. Pull, it's like no, I'm I'm trying to give you yeah. something, not pull I'm, it. I'm, I'm, I'm a push to push yeah. request. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I think pull requests are actually not a Git thing. It's actually a um a GitHub thing, right? Didn't they? Didn't they actually were the ones that made it? Like they built it on top of Git. Well, I yeah, they use Git as Chris their product, from. so I would, yeah. yeah, I would think it was a, a Git thing. And Git is a, a Linux, Linus Torvalds, right? Is he's mm. kind of the uh, creator yeah. of, mm. of Git? Right. So, yeah. So some of these older systems did give you an option to use the checkout and edit, or checkout and then merge type of thing. But I think everybody was using checkout and edit for years and years and years because merge was not uh, quite so easy as it is now as it was back then. Oh, it's still not easy now. now. Depending on <laughs> depending on who's using <laughs> your system, right? You have you have main, which you could work straight off of if your company didn't mandate that you don't don't do that. By the way, please heaven help us, don't work off of main. And then maybe you have a develop branch, right? But depending on if someone branched off develop and then merged main into their feature branch and then merged that in develop. Right. You can get these these weird circuitous paths where it looks like you've got extra commits than you really do. So it's still you still have to think about it. Right. It's you can still screw it up, basically. <laughs> All right. So so what are branches? So somebody that's totally new, just getting the development. What's a branch? Why would they use a branch? Because for years I, I avoided branches. It is your own safe space to break things as you will without impacting anyone else. Because, for instance, say say you're working off of main, right? And you got 10 other people working off of main. And you do some changes and you commit them. That's fine. If you commit, you know, hey, that's that's all good. But say you commit and you push at the end of the day and your code breaks something, right? Or somebody does a pull and it can cause all kinds of chaos, right? So the idea of a, of a branch is isolate your code until it is ready to be merged into one of your main branches in order to be released. Because you so know, it basically developers. makes a copy makes a copy of the existing main branch for you to mm-hmm. kind of experiment on or make your at changes. that point in time. Yep. At that point in time, make your yep. changes. Well, te- technically, like I think another because I used to hate I, I used to think the branching thing was a copying thing it would just consume a lot more space and stuff. But it, it is actually just a it's almost like a pointer to a to a commit, really. So you, you should make as many branches you, you as you as you want, I think, uh, and not care about um, how much space or whatever. I mean, sometimes I do get rid of the, the old feature branches just for just to be clean or stuff. But but yeah, all it really is is just putting a, a pointer in into a particular commit in, in in your code, and you can go back to it, I guess. And that commit that that path is basically your own, like like Taylor said, your own work. And it space. just does a. And at some point, you obviously merge. It does that a commit, diff against uh, what you started with and the changes you've made. Yeah, I mean. Git's really smart. Hmm. I mean, it's it can be clunky, but the way that it handles branching and maintaining all this, the, you know, conflicts and changes without your computer going, what? 
is uh, is actually you know it's good. I guess it's, that's why it's the the standard, right? <laughs> I do. I think what one. I mean, you mentioned it earlier, but I think one thing about the is some. I feel like there is always some kind of git ninja in mm. in the dev team that can kind of fix things as well. Like because it, it is one of those things where if you don't really know what you're doing um, and you don't follow this because ex- this exact path, whatever. Sometimes you can get yourself into a bit of a bind. So yeah, like yeah, I mean, there's sometimes I'm actually the getting injected in 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 some of the dev teams. I'm um, I mean, just to try to untangle it for someone kind of thing. So, so do you yeah. recommend one one branch per feature or story, or do you have one your own little developer branch you do all of your stuff on, and then you when you're done with that, you you push it into main. And you just work on that one branch for yourself. Which way do you go about it? We we do branches for each ticket. So right. So if I have five tickets in a sprint and I start working on one of them, I'm gonna do a branch for that ticket specifically. That's that's how that's how we do it. Probably the same. Although probably not. It depends on the size of the mm-hmm. ticket. Sometimes if it's just a, like a couple of tiny ones, I'll put it all in at the same time. I guess. But yeah, I think that's how most people do it. And that's kind of a that feature branch thing. Do you delete the branches afterwards, or do you like do you just I, keep it? Forever? I typically hold them to them locally because they don't take up you know that much space. But we, but mm. when we do a pull request, we delete them on the remote. Yeah, um, on approval. But you know, like yeah. we have a prod support team, and they do all their work off the main, not directly off the of main. They create hot fixes or bug branches off of main, and then merge back into main. Since develop, mm. you know, is is may not have stuff that's ready to to be to production so yeah do you ever have where you have you have you have your production branch mm-hmm. you have a test branch you have a mm-hmm. qa branch and then a developer branch you ever separating all that way so each branch is kind of it's it's step along the way uh rarely right the only time i've been at a place where we had that much separation was when we had a, um, a scrum master and part of their job was maintaining our get flows and all the branches and history and what goes where and whatnot. So you would create a feature branch and then they would actually do all the the merges and manage all that. But beyond that, no, it's usually one or two, right? I would, um, where we work, we would generally have a, I guess, a release branch for every mm-hmm. single release. Just create one as well. Just, you know, just keep track of this is what we release on this particular day and stuff like that. So we've, done that i've done that in other places in my current place we've done it but we have teams around the world we have some in ukraine we have some in the u.s central east we've got contractors a couple different places and and we just we seem to run into it's more overhead than than is worth the effort right now so we've backed off of that but yeah so I'm here with JD from Raygun. JD, when I talk to you, I mean, I really feel the developer vibe, and I know that's your background. But is, mm-hmm. is all of Raygun that way? I mean, you know, it just kind of feels like when I talk to other companies, they're a little more corporate, a little more, you know, focused on maybe, you know, raising money or doing other things, you know. But it seems like when I talk to you, you're just, you know, down-to-earth developer dude. I like to think of myself as a down-to-earth developer dude. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah, Ray, Raygun is a little bit different. Um, so... You know, we're not heavily VC-backed. Um, you know, my business partner and I, when we started, we were both nerds, you know. Um, I, I might be the CEO today and I don't write code on the product. Um, but, you know, the joke internally is, you know, what's the definition of technical debt, Chuck? It's CEO code. <laughs> <Well>. <laughs> Stuff to go fix. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, uh, no, we, we, you uh, know, we, we're... Stories. We're... <laughs> 
we're a cash flow positive business. You know, we're not heavily VC funded. Um, you know, but we 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 are at a size now where we're we are expanding, and more and more folks are are discovering what we're about. But yeah, we often look through things through that lens of a developer. You know, I wanted a thirty thousand foot view, but I also want to go right down to an individual um, data point. Um, similarly, you know, I don't believe in averages. I want medians. I want P ninety nines. I I make better decisions that way. And so we try and drive that sort of thinking into our products and try and be as developer-minded uh, as we possibly can be. Yeah, I love that because, you know, it, for me, it's it's run by people who get me um, and you're not under pressure from like a VC to raise your prices or, you know, go hyper-grow and then, oh crap, now we're behind the eight ball with our money and now we've got to figure it out. You know, you're just going to keep growing, steadily moving and, and I just love that. Yeah, I mean, the term these days is often referred to as product-led growth, right? Like, get people to use the product mm-hmm. and say, hey, that's great. I want to give you money. Um, I don't think it's that complicated. Sounds good. Well, folks, if you want to go check it out, you can go find them at raygun.com. Uh, you can actually sign up for a free trial right there on the website. So I tend to clean up my branches. I don't like to have things, mm. you know, cluttering up my my list of things that I have, even locally. I mean, I don't not write as I check them in or whatever. I keep them around for months until I know, yeah, that was stable. It's out there. It's been working well. So then I'll delete that branch. And of course, yeah, we do also do the delete branch from remote upon, you know, approval. And uh, so when you go into the main branch, do you do a squash commit? What kind of commit do you do, do when you go into into the main branch? So we don't we don't have the rights to go into the main branch. Uh, only our DevOps team does. But the way that our our current system works is and we do pull requests into develop, and then when all of the the tickets for the sprint are in develop and it's been tested in UAT, develop is what's then well main is merged into develop to make sure we got all the hot fixes, and develop is what's put on production. And then once that's all verified and tested, there's a pull request to have develop going to main. So it's a little bit circuitous. And no, we we don't we don't squash just because we like so to at any point any point with PR you don't squash, you just keep them all individual. Yeah. Okay. I mean it's it definitely it adds to the history. But I think it, with the company I'm working for and where we're at, we we kind of need that history. Because there's a lot of questions of who did what and where was this and how was this change made and you know, if you if you squash, you can lose some of that. So yeah, I'm always I always feel like I feel like yeah, squashing things will just make it cleaner mm-hmm. and all that stuff. But I I never really do it. I'm always scared that like I'll I'll stop it up somehow. Like um, <laughs> like, like I'll squash it. Where I've yeah. been, we we always mm-hmm. squashed, and I could see you know where you I, for you Caleb, you would squash mm-hmm. when you go into develop. Yeah, but then develop might go not squash into your other branches, things like that. Right. And I, whenever I squash, I always have to go back and look it up because I don't do it often enough. And I don't commit daily, which I know is a no-no. So I don't end up having, you know, 10 commits on one branch. So not, not all of us use Git the way we're supposed to, but you know, hey, you know, what, 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 mm. whatever gets you, gets you through, gets the work done, right? Yep. And so what I mean by squash is is when mm. you're working locally, and mm-hmm. you're doing a lot of commits and you're making your changes and you commit them into your local your local branch and things like that. When you then ask those to be merged into another branch, you have the option of keeping those commits as individual mm-hmm. commits so you can see each one change on that other branch or you can squash them all into one so it looked like they were all just kind of made at the, at the same time and don't really clutter up in the history with a whole bunch of things that you did, that you made comments on in each little check-in. And quite often, mm-hmm. some 
check-ins that I have have stupid commit, commit messages. So that kind of helps me with, with the squash there too. I think, yeah, I think if locally, I, I think squash is, is okay. Just make sure you haven't accidentally pushed the changes into like, into, <laughs> into a branch on, on remote first, I guess. Um, but yeah. yeah. I, um, so who I had a link who? to the chat. I think it's the I think it's the right YouTube video, but right, but there's this guy who says don't use Git, and it's an old video, but it's a joke. He basically says don't use Git, and he tells you all the reasons why Git works. So um, I added it to the well, to the show notes <laughs> in case people want. But I I first looked at him was like, why is he saying not to use Git? And then I watched it was like, oh okay, uh huh, clever. So anyway. Well, are there any viable alternatives out there? I wonder, like, because, um, you know, like back before Git, there were like a ton of like you know, different technologies and stuff, but it seems like the world, like 99.9% of developers are just using Git these days, you know? So I wonder if there, there are any viable, like, there's, there's yeah, still, things, there's still other sources that mm-hmm. charge for, mm-hmm. you know, their version control system. There's, there's Perforce, the one that I mentioned, you know, with Source Gear, Vault. They've got a version that's compatible with Visual Studio 2022. Mm. So there are still lots of, and I think Mercurial is still out there probably. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah, there's, some people are using commercial stuff and, and paying for it, probably because that's what they've always used. So they don't want to go through the managed you know, conversion. Yeah. I have did that once. I read a, wrote a script to convert from TFS to Git mm. and pull out everything, all the different commits and things like that. And migrate over, so that's that, not an easy. That, did that work for you? Because not that, easy, but that was something. We were, yeah, that was something we were looking at doing recently for a, a legacy project at work. And yeah, I, I would have thought with DevOps there would just be a like a one-click button, you know, to change <laughs> your solution to from TFS, TSVC, or whatever to to Git. And but no, that's and yeah. apparently that's well, something. The easiest, the easiest thing is just start over. Just copy your yeah. existing code as it is yeah, now yeah. into the new system and start from there, and, and keep the other system kind of in a backup somewhere or something, something like that. But uh, yeah. Well, that's, mm. that's an issue we've run into, right? Is you don't have that history. And even, even if you're moving one Git repository into a different location, right? If you don't have the Git history and you create a new one, you just copy the code in, you've lost all that information, right? And so there's a chunk of code, right? And it doesn't look right. And you want to see the revisions on it. And you go back two years and then the history's, that's it. That's all you got. And you don't actually know when it was created, how it was modified, and who did it, right? Which at that point, who did it may not matter as much because they're probably not working there anymore anyway. <laughs> but yeah, well, I mean, that's why they call it blame, you know, in the source code <laughs> system, you know, they use the term blame. So yeah, yeah. each line has a blame. Yeah. Yep. You can blame it on this person. Yeah. But yeah, I've, I've done that to try to figure out how did this get the way it is and, and what's the reasoning. And sometimes you just don't have it. So who wants to explain rebase? I've ne- never really conquered that one to actually understand why I would ever rebase something. Okay, so I always, I go and look it up and I'm like, okay, yes, I understand. It makes sense. And then I forget, right? And I, and I think... Is it kind of like it shuffles the order of the c- commit so it kind of makes it look like it's in logical order? Would that be a good way to kind of describe it? So I think, yeah, I think maybe maybe another way to describe it is the opposite of squash. It's you're taking your branch with all of its commits and you're putting it on another branch as if everything was done on that branch. Yeah. Right? Mm. And so it all, it's you have, so you, you have that one line of history instead of multiple lines. But I just, I don't it see it. It seems a need like it's going to be more than that because, right? you know, rebase, what are you rebasing? You know, 
It's not like well, you're not just you're you're rebasing it. your branch on another one, right? So right, and get there are two ways to integrate changes: merge and rebase. Yeah, right? so there's merge. Yeah. Yep. Which is kind of like when you're checking your stuff into it. Right. Okay. So it says, right, you can take the patch of the change that you introduced in a branch and reapply it on top of another branch. And basically what this does is that's rebasing. You can take the changes that were committed on one branch and replay them on a different branch. And that way that branch has all that history. So at least that is how I understand it going back and reading it because I don't ever really rebase. I mean, it's really... So, I, I think it's so an I'm, edge I'm, case. I'm looking at a visual representation of it right now, and I, it makes a little bit more sense. So you, you make a branch off of main, mm-hmm. and you're branching that off at a certain point. Mm-hmm. And yeah. you make your little changes, you make your little commits. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, other people are pushing things onto main mm-hmm. that you don't have yet. Right. And so at the end, you pull your stuff off of main into use. You've got all the changes that they, they made. And then you merge back onto main and your all of those changes get appended to the end of the change history of main. So yep. so it's I guess it's, it is kind of rebasing. But the funny thing is about it is it's your changes happened in the past, but then get applied to the future mm-hmm. of the main branch. So that's what's really, really confusing about it all the all the time. If you don't have a reason to rebase or don't understand it, don't do it. <laughs> <laughs> basically <laughs> right merge conflicts are difficult enough without doing uh, without going through whole, the whole rebase thing so but yeah i think that is that is one of those things that is confusing about git as well the fact that you can kind of change history in oh, a way yeah. like like reorder things around yeah, yeah. so that's where yeah when, when you start getting into that sort of stuff if you're not experienced and like you said if you don't know what you're doing you can easily just make a, a royal mess of, oh, heck of things yeah. So. I mean, e- even an experienced developer, you can make a royal mess. Like you said, like you said, why you commit and push your stuff up and then you try to squash it and push it back up. And it's going to be like, yeah. <laughs> what are you trying to do? I don't understand. I'm, I, we're not in the same place. Yeah. We're not on the same hash. What's, I, I don't, I don't know what this is. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> so, <laughs> yep. Yep. how often do you use stash? All the time. I use it all the time. Yeah. Daily. I like, yeah. I like have 10 stashes for the same branch. I'm not kidding you. It's and I also have stashes for environmental changes, right? Because not all applications have environments set up to make it easy to swap between different environments. Or, so I actually have specific stashes to say make these changes to the configs and this and that, and pointing to these different URLs based on what I'm trying to test against. Yeah, I don't go that far. Usually when I use stash, it's because I messed something up on my local copy that you know, it just totally broke something. It's like, okay, mm-hmm. what did I do? It's like the mm-hmm. best way to do to figure that out is I stash all the changes that I haven't checked in. Mm-hmm. So I get back to the, the original copy and that, okay, yeah, that's working. So it's something between that and what I changed, broke it. So then I'll start you know, bringing back some of those stash changes that I did and and try to figure out, uh, you know, what actually caused things to break. So I, I probably use stash. I probably use it too much as a scratch pad, but I do. <laughs> what about you, Why? Yeah, I, I use it a lot of the times. I just use it because, like, so, I'll be working on something, and then there'll be like some other like, I've got to suddenly work on or something like that. So then I just and then I don't want to commit the changes. I haven't. I'm not ready to commit in. So then I just stash it and then move to another branch, basically, mm-hmm. so to work on that other thing. So. <laughs> Probably not. I mean, yeah, I guess it's just the nature of being a developer, mm-hmm. right? You, you, you want to be focused on one task, but sometimes you get dragged away oh, from yeah. another. So. Yeah, definitely. So, so any what other... To, we're all using Git. 
because that's just the most popular and everybody's out there and it's free and things like that. So what are some Git clients that you prefer to use? Because there's lots of different choices you can use out there for for managing your Git repo. Mm-hmm. A lot of my coworkers just use the one built into Visual Studio these days because it has gotten a lot better. I like Git Kraken. I don't I don't necessarily like the the annual subscription, but I, I like the the UI for it. What's the other one from Atlassian? I've used it. SourceForge, SourceNet, Source something. But yeah, I've yeah I've used it yeah. previously too. So yep, most often I'm using the ones in Visual Studio or VS Code. Bit, Bitbucket, right? Yeah. Bitbucket was a was another repo. Yeah, kind of like yeah. kind of GitHub. Git, like GitHub. It was but like I GitHub. think they've got a client yeah. as well. Yeah, but uh, yeah. yeah, I've used Git, Git Kraken. A lot of my coworkers like to use Git Kraken. Of course, there's times when I just go out the command line for some of the things I need to do. I do that Git that way. But I and like there was the also the, uh, the one at VS Code is pretty good. Yeah. There was GitHub Desktop, and I've used that, but I found it to be too too limited. There's not a, not enough functionality there. I mean, it's free, but. So is the one built into Visual Studio if you're using Community Edition. So, right. Yeah. yeah. I think you're thinking of Source Tree. Yes, Source that's tree it. Source Tree. Yep. yep. Yeah. But I think I used to use this one called, I think mean, it was an open source one. It was just called, yeah, it's like Git Tree or something. It was, pretty, I mean, it was pretty ugly, but it, as long as it's got a tree okay. and I use it for mainly my, I'd use the Visual Studio uh, one if, if I'm using, you know, if I'm doing .NET stuff, but if I'm not using Visual Studio at all, I'd probably just use that. And I think the I think GitLens. Have you guys ever used that in yep. VS Code? It's like a it's yeah, like an I extension. Like that. Yep. that yep. one's pretty good I, as well. I like using yeah. GitLens for an extension in VS Code. But yeah, there's a whole list yeah. of uh, clients that I'll put in the show notes of things that they have actually on the, on the Git website. And you know, so, I don't even think Git Kraken existed five years ago, but it's it's become very popular, at least in the circles that I run in, because it's it's got a really good UI. So. And how much is it? Oh, there is a free version of Git Kraken, and I've played with that. But then you can go either four ninety five, eight ninety five, or eighteen ninety five per user per month. Paid. Anything. Yeah, with with Git Kraken, the the limitations are public repositories only. Once you start getting into Azure DevOps or private repos, you have to have a subscription for Git Kraken. So, which I understand, right? You got you got to uh, you got to make money somewhere. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, it used to be that I guess in a corporate sense, like whenever you needed to set up a a you know source repository, you'd have to host it yourself, right? On some sort of on-premise I've thing, you might have a build server and whatnot. I've stuff. set them up before. Yeah, yeah, but I mean, it's, it's I'm guessing it's for you. You probably have that oh. for a while now. It's, everything's oh, kind yeah. of on the on the cloud. Yeah. So, what which ones do you guys use? Like, um, you know, you've got DevOps, GitHub, GitLabs, Bitbucket. I think we mentioned that before. Mm-hmm. Which ones have you guys used? Bitbucket, GitLab, GitHub. I think those are the big three that I've used in the last five plus years. Yeah. Because GitHub used to charge for private repos I don't, and they don't anymore. Mm. Right. So if I had a private repo that I was doing like my own project and went open source, I hosted it somewhere else or, you know, committed it somewhere else. So mm. do you use, uh, do you use GitHub for just kind of backing up your local side projects that you work on or you just keep that locally? Uh, no, I mean, my projects, I don't have long, long running projects. Mine are kind of one-offs. Demo of this, tested that. But yeah, that, that stuff all ends up in GitHub. So, And then GitHub pages or GitHub IO or all that fun stuff. That's a whole nother topic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think I used to, before GitHub made their private repos free, I just used Bitbucket mm-hmm. because it was, it was free. 
but yeah, now everything's just on on GitHub. But I think back in those days, like I really just needed like a place to store, like 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 to back up my my repo. I could have probably put on Google Drive or something if I really wanted to. So like I'm through remote on there. But I wasn't really using any other features like tickets and you know, work items and all that stuff. So and obviously the CI/CD pipelines that are becoming more and more popular these days. So yeah, have you guys used DevOps, mm-hmm. Microsoft DevOps? Yeah. yeah. What do you guys What do you think of that? It's good. I like it. I mean, the problem is it's very large in scope, right? And and they have it set up where yeah. you can do everything in there, everything that you need to do. But most companies aren't doing that. So you kind of have this, you've got your tickets in Jira and you've got your repos in DevOps, but maybe you've got your NuGet packages somewhere else, right? I, I, it would be nice to consolidate, but I, I think it's a, it's, it's a solid tool and it, it has everything we need. We just—it's migrating. It's got to move all your existing yeah, stuff over right. to it's it. <laughs> migrating is, again, like yeah. Sean said. You know, you get used to mm. using what you're using, and it's more trouble than it's worth to to switch. So, mm. yeah. okay. Anything else, or should we move on to picks? I'm good with picks. Yeah, right. good. Picks. Let's go to picks. Hi, this is Charles Maxwood from Top End Devs, and lately I've been coaching some people on starting some podcasts and in some cases, just taking their career to the next level. You know, whether you're beginner going to intermediate, intermediate going to advanced, whether you're trying to get noticed in the community or go freelance, I've been helping these folks figure out how to get in front of people, how to build relationships and how to build their careers and max out and and just go to the next level. So if you're interested in talking to me and having me help you go to the next level, Go to topendevs.com slash coaching. I will give you a one hour free session where we can figure out what you're trying to do, where you're trying to go and figure out what the next steps are. And then from there, we can figure out how to get you to the place you want to go. So once again, that's topendevs.com slash coaching. Why would you pick? Okay, so today's pick is it's a TV show called uh, Russian Doll. Um, on Netflix. So it's just one of those shows where like, kind of like the Groundhog Day thing where, you know, like the day repeats over and over again, but it's kind of got like this weird twist to it kind of thing. So season two is just out. I haven't watched season two yet, but um, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. For that I liked season thing. one. It was good. Yeah. I'll have to check that out. I, I haven't seen it. Yeah. So I'll take a look at it. Yeah, no worries. All right, Caleb, what's your pick? My pick is uh, a ring. It's one of those sleep uh, activity monitoring daily dues. And I don't think I've picked this one before, but it's called the Aura Ring 2. And the reason why it's 2 is version 3, which is the most recent one, has a monthly subscription. And version 2 <laughs> doesn't. So you can go find... Aura Ring version two on eBay for like half the price of an Aura Ring three. But yeah, right. You just wear it on your finger and, and it tracks all kinds of data, big brother and all that stuff. Who knows where it's going to, but hey, it tells me that I, I got a good night's sleep or that I slept like crap. And sometimes I find that useful. So, so is it better than a smartwatch? You reckon? Yes. Um, uh, why would you pick that over well, a smartwatch? Because, well, and of course they've got their research and everything, but the idea of right, a smartwatch on your wrist isn't going to be as sensitive as a ring with with all these little bumps and and monitor stuff that's actually on your finger because you 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 gotta it it can mm-hmm. get your pulse better on your finger. I don't know, right? But I I have a Fitbit and an Aura Ring, and the Aura Ring seems to be more sensitive. So. All right, not another sleep tracker, just what I need. We like our sleep trackers. <laughs> yep. 
So my pick this week is going to be a TV show that I haven't watched yet, but I'm hearing good things about it, and it's something I want to check out. And it is Star Trek: Strange New Worlds, and it's a new series. It's on Paramount. It's on Paramount Plus, so you got to have the Hmm. Paramount streaming service. But Hmm. yeah, it just came out, and it's kind of it harkens back to the original series. So this dealing with Captain Pike and Spock and things like that. So uh, I'm definitely gonna to spend some time checking it out okay. i've watched uh picard so i like picard and i watched some uh star trek discovery i like that too so this is uh, another one so they got three different star trek series going on hoisted on your own picard that's right, that's right. <laughs> i entertain myself yep make it so <laughs> engage there you go all right guys cool. Thanks for talking about uh, source control and all that kind of stuff this week. Walk down memory lane. Right. If our listeners <laughs> want to get in touch with me or the show, let us know how we're doing, what we can do better, some topics you want us to discuss. They get me on Twitter. I am at .NET Superhero. Dun, 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 dun. And I am at Caleb Wells Codes. All right, cool. We'll catch everybody else on the next episode of Adventures in .NET. Bye, y'all. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com to learn more.